Last week we began um, looking at the article of the Baptist Faith and Message on God. We looked at God as a whole and his uh, triune nature, uh, and we looked a little bit at the person of the Father. Tonight we turn toward the other two persons of the Trinity, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, in a little while, we're going to be in John chapter 16 a lot, especially talking about the Holy Spirit. So if you want to turn your Bible to one place, you can turn there. Um, but we're going to be, again, all over Scripture because that's just the nature of, of a creed. You don't just take Scripture by Scripture. You take what the whole Bible says. Uh, and so we will be in quite a lot of places. God the Father is the easy one in terms of... Um, knowing who he is very quickly we have a, a jewish heritage that helps us really know god um the father just because he's revealed so much of himself even through the old testament um and the new testament just really clarifies and brings to light new things um, but for the most part the groundwork is already laid and so Really, in figuring out God the Father, there's not a whole lot of work Christian theologians have had to do. Most of the work was done for us. But when you get to God the Son, it's a whole different story. Uh, just, just like the other major themes of Christian history, the Baptist uh, faith and message works through the life of Jesus in, in determining um, who he is as being part of God. So I, I'm going to read it. I wish I could put it on the screen, but again, uh, today is just a wonderful technological day for me. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm just having so many problems, so um, we don't have it on the screen. However, I will say this. If you go to our website, crestviewprattle.org, and look under sermons, I have posted there the sermons that I do, the, the, the preaching notes that I use, um, that I'm actually using right now on this, are on, they get posted to a site, and that there's a little widget on our website that allows you to view the most recent ones, and, and you can click on one there, and you can see all the slides that come up on Sunday mornings. You can see the verses I'm preaching about. You can read most of my notes. Some of it is extemporaneous, and so yeah, um, if you're following along with the podcast, you're going to say, hey, wait a minute, he didn't write that down. Um, that you know that that's just what happens but but a lot of my flow of thought is there um but especially for the slides the verses that i'm pulling from so if you miss verses or if if i've got the outline on the back if i'm that organized that week and you miss what one point of the outline is um that's one way to find it that'll be up tomorrow so you can actually read through all of this for yourself and then again the baptist faith the message is online do a quick search you'll find it and you can read it uh for yourself but Listen as I read the section of Article 2 on God the Son. Christ is the eternal Son of God. In his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience. And in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. He was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as a person who was with them before his crucifixion. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God where he is the one mediator, fully God, 
fully man, in whose person is effected the reconciliation between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission. He now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. If you go back to probably what is what is widely regarded as the first of the main creeds that Christians wrote, the Nicene Creed, um, it reads something along these lines. Um, we believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell and on the third day rose again. He ascended into heaven and from thence will he come to judge the quick and the dead. That's all they needed to say. There weren't great controversies over the person of the son. When the Nicene Creed was written in, in uh, 325, it was a totally different story. Suddenly they had to deal with who Jesus was. Was he God's first creation or was he before all creation. He was begotten, was he made? As Arius said, was there a time when he was not? Or as Athanasius, who was known to punch Arians in the face in the middle of councils, yes, that really did happen. You thought your church uh, had problems. <laughs> they, were, they were literally coming to blows. Or as Athanasius said, there was no time when he was not. He was begotten, but not made. How do we understand this Jesus? Because it really makes a big difference. Almost every major heresy in the history of the Christian church has centered on the one topic of Christ. Who is Jesus? Is he God or not? Is he eternal or not? Is he a really good guy that has become God through his effort, through his good works, through his piety? Or is he God from the very beginning? Is he any sort of special messenger of God? Is he a prophet or is he divinity in human flesh? You would imagine in this thing called Christianity that Christ would be a pretty important part of that. So as we approach this article, we approach really a hotbed of controversy, but Baptists have a distinct advantage in this. We've got a whole bunch of other people that have done the hard work for us. And all we've got to do is... is make sure that we align with the faith of our fathers, okay? And that's exactly what we do. It begins with a very general, but a very specific and a very targeted sentence. The very first sentence in this, in this section, Christ is the eternal son of God. We are eliminating about 95% of the heresies with that one sentence. Heresies like... There was a time when he was not. The Arian view that Christ was the first creation of God. In Colossians, it says that he was the firstborn of all creation. Paul wasn't saying that he was created, that he was the first one born or the first one created and then everything else was created after him. Because John tells us in John 1, in the beginning was the word. Because John also tells us in John 1, that all things were made by him and through him. And without him, there was nothing made that has been made. How can you say that about one who is the first thing made? But it goes further than that. 
He is God's son. Now, there are lots of people in the scripture that testify to that. God himself says it. Jesus' baptism, he comes up out of the water, the, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends on him, and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, you get the testimony of God. That should be enough, right? Ah, Simon Peter recognized it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're this guy or that guy. Who do you say that I am? That's Peter's answer. Good answer, Peter. Too bad it hasn't fully made it into his heart yet. Because once it does, that guy's going to be a really, really good man of God. Psalm 2, the psalmist writes in the prophetic voice of the Messiah, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, that, that gives us a little trouble because we don't exactly have children before we have children. Friday was Savannah's birthday, okay? We know that she was conceived nine or so months before her birthday, okay? We know that. We could probably look at the calendar and figure out exactly when she was conceived if we wanted to. But before that point, she was not. She wasn't. It wasn't until conception that she became an actual person. It's the truth, it's the truth for all of us, right? It's not until we're actually conceived that we are an actual person. With God, it's different. We think of begotten as being born, or even if we want to go back to conception, as being conceived. That's not the way that it quite is with Christ. You see, begotten with God doesn't mean you begin to exist. Not, not, not like it does with us. See, God's different from us. And so we have a begotten Christ who is begotten, but not made. He is the image, Colossians 1:15, of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, by firstborn, the preeminent one is what he's talking about. He says firstborn not in the sense of born first, but in the one in the sense of most important, the one that has the primacy and the preeminence. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you get the sense that this Jesus guy is pretty important? He's the eternal son of God. We read of his incarnation. The Baptist faith and message puts it this way. In his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. They, got, they, they, they sampled that off of the Apostles' Creed. That's, that's the exact wording. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, yet without sin. Notice what they're doing here. When this committee is putting together this statement of faith, what they're trying to do is to exclude heresy. They're not trying to box you into saying this tiny little perspective of Jesus is it. What they're trying to do is say, we cannot go to this extreme over here. We cannot go over here. We cannot go over here. These are the boundaries of Orthodox Christianity. This is what we can say with confidence about him from his conception. Therefore, prophesied. Uh, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son 
You shall call his name Emmanuel. And then it happens. An angel comes to tell Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. You know, telling Mary is great. What about Joseph? Poor guy. He got the angel too. Matthew 1, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Who did this? She is probably the only woman in history that can say, I I swear, God did this. I I had nothing to do with it. (laughs) All she did was say, yes, Lord, I'm here. It's God's revelation, not only revealing God, but doing his will. Hebrews 1. This is how the writer of Hebrews begins the book. He's setting, he sets the stage with these words. This is his introduction. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It's not that he's a copy. He's not a a, a fax. He's not an electronic scan of God or a hologram of God. He's God, who, though he was in the form of God, Paul says, Philippians. That sounds familiar. <laughs> Where have I heard that before? Did not account did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That outward expression of that inward reality. Jesus is God. And he reveals God to us. Not only that, he does God's will. Not only does he reveal God, but he performs the will of God. Matthew 26, 39. He is in the garden. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be tried in a farce of a trial, convicted, sentenced to death. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He tells his disciples and those listening, because there were always people listening, John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He takes on all of, all, all of, um, how did, I want to get the words right. So I'm, I'm going back here. Taking upon himself, this is the way the Baptist faith, the message puts it. Human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, yet was without sin. The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You see, Jesus didn't just put on the body of a person, but not really the soul. He didn't really put, he didn't just put on the flesh, but not really have the aches and pains. Jesus had feet that hurt from all that walking. His dogs were barking, if you want to put it that way. He had that tinge of back pain every now and then. He had those sore muscles. He'd slept wrong, and so his neck was all stiff in the morning sometimes. He was only 33, so it didn't happen that often, but I can tell you as a 37-year-old, it does happen, even at my age. 
he, he had the problems that we face. He had those days when he just didn't feel up for it, when he was tired, weary, drained, when he felt like, I just want to go home and curl up in a bed. He had that kind of feeling. Now, he had no home. He had no bed. But he still felt that way. He needed to eat. He got hungry. Sometimes, I'm sure, he got worried. Sometimes, he got a little upset. In fact, not only did he get upset, <laughs> sometimes he demonstrated how upset he was. You don't call Pharisees brood of vipers, sons of Satan, and overturn tables in a temple without a little bit of, well, unction. Let's put it that way, unction. You don't do that kind of stuff without a little something motivating you. And yet he's without sin. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You want to know the difference between Jesus and us? He actually did what he was supposed to do. He lived up to God's standard. Of course, he was kidding. He was God. That's okay. I'm drowning. I don't care if you're standing on the shore cheating, throwing me a life preserver. I don't care. I don't care if you're cheating. I'm drowning. I need all the help I can get. We see Christ's atonement. Baptist faith, the message puts it this way. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience and in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Hebrews 9, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. The writer of Hebrews is painting a picture. You know that one day a year, that, that Yom Kippur, that day of atonement, when the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, praying to God that he was right with God because if he didn't, he was dead. They even had a rope tied to him just in case because you don't go in there after him or you're dead too. That one day he would walk in there and he'd take the blood of the the. the lamb without blemish, and he would sprinkle it on the altar, on the cherubim, on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. And 365 days later, did it all over again. You see, that was a picture. The writer of Hebrews says, just like that high priest used to do there, our great high priest did. Not, not in the earthly temple, not in the picture, not in the shadow, but in the reality. The actual holy place before the actual throne of God by means of his own blood, atoning for the sins of his people, not just, not just once a year, not just for repetition, not just to cover you, get you by until the next one comes, but once and for all. That's the nature of this atonement. It's the real thing that everything else points to. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is where? In Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a payment in advance of the full payment. 
that that covering of sin now that covers sin for good by his blood to be received by faith. This was, by the way, what this did is it showed God was righteous. You see, God has this dilemma. He's got on the one hand his justice that demands that sin be punished. And it's absolutely right. We do not want a God who will not let sin go unpunished. Will not, will not let sin go unpunished. We want a God who will not do that. I, I think I'm confused in what I'm saying here. We don't want a God who just lets anybody sin and not bring punishment, not demand justice. We don't want that. That is a bad God. That is a terrible God, a horrifying God. But at the same time, even though he's just, he's also merciful. And God doesn't want to punish these people because he knows, he knows that they need redemption that they cannot do on their own. So what is God to do? How can God feel the justice that the sin requires, but also the mercy that his heart requires? How can he be both by being man and paying the price for sin himself? That's Jesus Christ. And in this way, we see God's righteousness. Sin is punished. And we see God's mercy. Redemption is offered to men. It was to show his righteousness of the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus we see his resurrection. Our statement of faith says he was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before his crucifixion. What this says is he wasn't a phantasm. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't partly the man he was before, but not really. He wasn't a whole new person. He was the same one after the resurrection that he was before the crucifixion. Remember that Peter guy? This is what happens when Jesus gets a hold of them. Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. A few verses later, he says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that, we are all witnesses. I, I can imagine he points to these individuals. You see, what had happened on Pentecost is these guys just started talking. There's a whole group of Jews, and they're from all over the place. They're from, they're from north, south, east, west. They're from all over the Roman Empire, all over the place. And they've all gathered there in order to celebrate this Feast of Pentecost. Fifty days after the Passover, they would come. That's what Pentecost means. They would come to Jerusalem. It was one of the major feasts of the year, one of the most important days. And so here are thousands and thousands of Jews from all over here in Jerusalem. And they all are speaking different dialects and, and there's trouble understanding things and there's all kinds of different stuff going on. It's, it's a ruckus to say the least. And yet these folks start talking. And lo and behold, they're all from Galilee. I'm from Egypt. And they sound like they're talking in my dialect. Well, I'm from Syria. They sound like Syrians to me. 
I'm from, I'm from Rome, and their Rome accent is impeccable. What's going on here? Well, Holy Spirit's what's going on here. And he could point to them and say, all these people that you're seeing, all these people that you're hearing that some of you are saying are drunk, even though it's way too early to be drunk. No, 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 no. We're all witnesses of the resurrection of this guy, Jesus. And you need to know about it. First Corinthians, Paul writes, for I delivered to you as of first importance what also I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This wasn't just one or two folks. This wasn't just someone seeing the mirage. Or, you know, sometimes you half expect if someone has has passed away, whether it's recent or a long time ago, and and you see someone else that kind of looks like them, and for a second you think it's them. It's not that. No, he keeps appearing over and over and over and over and over again, sometimes to one, sometimes to several, sometimes to several hundred at a time. But he didn't stay here. He also ascended. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God where he is the one mediator, fully God, fully man, in whose person is affected the reconciliation between God and man. You know the story of the ascension. Matthew gives it to us and he focuses on the commandment that Jesus gives. Luke says it and he focuses on the blessing that he imparts as he goes. He's blessing them as he rises. And then a few chapters later in Luke's uh, twin series... Acts, we have this guy getting stoned named Stephen, and he's looking up, and, and there's Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And, sees, and Stephen says, Look, I see the heavens open, and, and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Almost imagine those are his last words. Hebrews 9, therefore, in light of the fact that he is this high priest that can sympathize with us, in light of the fact that he's greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses, in light of the fact that he has given this, this sacrifice that covers our sins once and for all, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You see, that, that, that first covenant, we broke that a long time ago. So God says, let me write us up a new one. And he does it through Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians 5, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, boys, what does the next verse say? No, we are ambassadors. Keep going. Nope, you don't have it. Robert, we got to talk. Come on, guys. Y'all need to learn that verse. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If y'all don't know it next time, y'all are gonna have to do push-ups. For our sake, this is verse 21. This is the very next verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we 
might become the righteousness of God. And folks, this Jesus who was born, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin Mary, this Jesus who lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, rose again on the third day, and who ascended into heaven, is one day coming back. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission. John says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And on the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Finally, he is the indwelling Christ. He now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. Paul put it this way, and we talked about it last week. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In Colossians, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Next week, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. But for tonight, let's thank God for his Son and everything he's done and is for us. Father, we praise you for your gift, your precious gift. You could have sent emissaries. Angels could have come down and taught us a better way. You could have basically beaten us into submission, threatened us and caused great distress upon us until we finally submitted to you. You could have made us robots that just couldn't disobey in the first place and avoided the whole mess. But what you decided to do was so much more, well, I, I can only think of one word for it. Wow. You put on flesh and you dwelt among us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for stooping to our level, for translating yourself into a way we could understand, for opening our eyes to who you are. Father, the, the Holy Spirit We'll talk about him next week, but we recognize that even Father and Holy Spirit, you're not complete without the Son, and neither are we. So God, thank you for being Son. Help us to be enraptured with him for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.